This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. Format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Destinations International. The annual convention in Toronto rocked, and now it's time to look forward to the next big event, the Advocacy Summit in Bloomington, Minnesota, October 26, 27, and 28. As telling the DMO story has never been more crucial, join Destinations International for a content-rich agenda and compelling case studies and networking to bring your advocacy game up to speed. For more information, go to destinationsinternational.org. And now on to our show, Anthony Everett is the president and CEO of 4VI, a social enterprise formed to ensure that travel is a force for good for Vancouver Island forever. 4VI transitioned from a destination management organization previously known as Tourism Vancouver Island in April of this year. In addition to his CEO position, Anthony is also the chair of the BC Regional Tourism Secretariat made up of the province's five regional tourism organizations. He's been involved in tourism in British Columbia for over 30 years, starting his career at the Butchart Gardens in Visitor Services, then establishing the Gardens Media Relations Department. In 1999, he was recruited to Tourism Victoria to manage their Media Relations Department until 2003, when he joined the team at Tartan Public Relations as Account Director. And in 2006, Anthony moved away from Vancouver Island to lead the Northern British Columbia Tourism Association until 2015. Anthony has earned significant achievements through his career, including the Canadian Sport Tourism Alliance Prestige Award in 2016, the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal, and the 2015 Prince George Citizen of the Year. Anthony Everett, welcome to DMOU. Thank you very much, Bill. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, most people in destination marketing and management are familiar with Barcelona's pre-COVID struggle to mitigate the impacts of what they believed were too many tourists negatively impacting residential life. Now, during the pandemic, they, like many of us, realized the visitor economy was more essential than they thought. Of course, now as tourism is coming roaring back, Barcelona is once again struggling to balance tourists and residents. Now, why am I talking about Barcelona? Because interestingly, the mix of visitors to residents is even more heavily skewed on Vancouver Island than it is in Barcelona. So let's start with your first question. Before the pandemic, you knew there was a problem brewing. Then the pandemic provided you time to reassess where your organization needed to be when we came out on the other side. Your response was to transform a DMO into a social enterprise. So tell us what that means and how you got there. Okay, I love telling the story and it's a bit complicated. So (laughs) just bear with me a little bit. But you're right, the pandemic really was the catalyst, but it's really the story of our organization is tied up with me a little bit with me personally and my unease with you know, where things were going. And then we're talking for a decade now or so, and I could talk more about that. I joined as president and CEO of Tourism at Coover Island in January of 2018. I inherited it from a CEO that was a longtime person. He'd been here about 18 years, a friend of mine, and I knew him well, and he was very good at destination marketing for Vancouver Island as a regional organization. But, you know, 
really there's been a convergence here of a business imperative that we needed to have as an organization to achieve success. And then we had the pandemic and the pandemic really created us thinking differently. And I think, you know, as an island destination that is dependent on ferries and flights to get here, as you said, I mean, this whole approach to resident engagement, value of our industry, and then where we can go, what is our role as an organization, uh, as a leadership organization that can chart a new course. So all these things kind of were coming together, but our passion really came out of the idea of, you know, climate change being a major issue. And we're seeing that here every day. Last year in the province of British Columbia, there was what, you know, meteorologists called a heat dome. Mm -hmm. And we saw temperatures we'd never seen before. We've seen flooding. We've seen all these things. We believe that climate climate change is real and that there's something that we can do. And then, as you said, like much like Barcelona, people are now questioning here that live here and they never did this before. We, We went fast forward right through like people not even understanding the value of our industry to being questioned about whether it they even, we even wanted it or, you know, do communities want this? And when you talk about the ratios that Barcelona, it's an interesting point because we hadn't really thought about it in these terms. But when you look at the ratios, yeah, we have what one resident for every 850 visitors for some parts of Vancouver, Island, whereas Barcelona is something like 27 residents for every 200 visitors. And you think of their problems. So, you know, for us, it was time to change. This is something that we could do, we could contemplate, and it's really about the social impact. So, wow. you know, when you ask the question, I think my life for the next, I don't even know how many years, will be tied up with educating people about what a social enterprise is. That's the first place we have to start. And then what does that mean for, you know, a traditional, what was a DMO as a social enterprise? And, you know, in Canada, social enterprises as a form of business are relatively new. They're not they're not sophisticated the way are they are in the UK or some of our research even into the United States. And what I mean by that, they've been around for a few decades. And so because of this change here, I've just been completely taken aback by the interest and it's global interest. And globally, I'm learning, we're building the plane as we fly it right now. And we launched April with the idea that, you know, we needed a year to fit all the pieces together. If people want to Google a website, we don't have a website right now even. We're trying to make these changes, but it was just the right time. The pandemic, we hope, is going into an endemic. We're not sure, but we just wanted to establish something and then chart a new direction. And I'm very lucky because I have an industry-led board of directors. And if, you know, as you know, business owners, they're all about entrepreneurship and innovation. And so they really saw and appreciated this idea that we had, and that's the business imperative. So it's complicated, but we as a 60 plus year organization, we're, you know, we're one of the oldest organizations that is in the tourism system in British Columbia. And uh, we've always served a contract with government. So forms of government in British Columbia, we have a crown corporation called Destination British Columbia that does our international marketing. And now they're doing development and management, all these things. We've always had a contract with them. And when I came in in 2018, the contract wasn't settled let's put it that way so it was a series of negotiations that were going on but the the contract deliverables weren't really marketing and the board that you know hired me thought we were a marketing organization and i kept saying well that's not what it's in our contract what's in our contract is doing destination development planning and you know a little bit of marketing and content and travel trade and things So about a year into the role here, I said to the board, look, we're turning into blockbuster video. We have to figure out 
a new way forward that establishes leadership. On the island here, there are, well, the number is at least 16, but of good-sized DMOs, there's plenty of them. They do good marketing, great marketing. Uh, Destination Greater Victoria is a really long-established one. They have tens of millions of dollars for marketing, and our marketing budget had been going down and down and down. And in 2014, before my time, we had a marketing budget to market Vancouver Island at about one point. 3 million. And by the time I took over, it was like 200,000. Wow. Yeah, exactly. We had millions of dollars doing development. So in 2019, I I gave the board three options. First option, we stay status quo. We just take this contract that government gives us and, you know, we're a much smaller organization. And, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm not interested in being here doing that, but, you know, we could do that. We could take down our not-for-profit and start something new. Or we, the third option would be to start doing contract work and uh, explore that option and move in that pathway. So doing consulting type work. Yeah. And so where we are today, the reality is we've launched as a social enterprise, which I'll cap this commentary in a sec with what that means. But we're not really changing that much what we've delivered for the last couple of years. We have a contract with government, but we look at it differently. We don't see ourselves as part of the system. We see ourselves as a contract delivery DMO to the provincial government through this contract. And we manage here on Vancouver Island, currently we manage three DMOs. So three fairly good sized DMOs, and we operate them on behalf of the communities. Um, one of them has a board of directors and they're formed differently, but it's going very well. And we bring lots of capacity. We bring our expertise and we work with them. And then we do a number of initiatives around strategic planning, board governance, you know, a set of tourism advising services. And that's what we've been doing for a while now. But now as a social enterprise, we're making sure it's clear that our purpose is to invest in social responsibility as it impacts the people who live here. So an example would be, we're currently funding ocean debris cleanup efforts so that we have depots uh, set up on Vancouver Island where people can bring ocean debris and deposit it because we feel an area we wanna focus on is um, one of the 17 sustainable goal areas of the United Nations, which is um, life underwater. And we can make a difference there. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of, why this has occurred. There was the business impact, but also the world has been changing. And I'm just adamant that we need to move in a different direction as an organization that gives us a purpose and a passion that helps benefit the people who live here and that we can contribute to that with the resources that we can create through our good efforts. And one of the things that I talk to people that are interested in this now, which Um, has surprised me the level of interest is we're lucky because I feel like we have the ability and the staff team and a few other things to be creating revenues that we can invest. Not every DMO is going to be able to do that, but I still feel like our purpose as a collection of organizations around the world, you know, we need to look at why we exist. And I really feel like it's the time because of the pandemic to bring our residents into our discussions and our thinking, and then pass the benefit on to them. You know, a great place to live is a great place to visit. And I see signs of this all over the world now. Uh, everyone's grappling with this topic. And and then I talked to about climate change. That's a part that we're a signatory to the Glasgow Declaration. And we will be making efforts and spending our resources on making sure that we're a part of that and that we're cutting our carbon. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of 
the long-winded way of saying that's why we've changed. And after 30 years in this industry, I've never been more yeah. excited yeah. about something that we can work on. It's an exciting time. Yeah. So social enterprise, if I understand it correctly, is this is a business unit. Honestly, it's kind of like, I guess, at least here in the States, you know, a nonprofit organization exists to make the world better. And it's not about driving profits, but we do have to drive revenue so that we can make the world even better. Correct? Correct. So business, social enterprises can be not-for-profits. They can be for-profit businesses. The way we're set up and have been for 60 years is a not-for-profit. Um, we're contemplating for tax reasons and a few other things potentially, which is very common to own, like incorporate a business. Right now, I'm exploring acquisition strategies around businesses that are that serve tourism, but they're not necessarily in tourism right. so that we can create other lines of revenue. But our, our whole focus is to take those resources that we create as a business and invest them so that travel is a force for good on Vancouver Island for forever. But it's on social responsibility. Here, I live in a community on Vancouver Island. It's about 80,000 people. It's called Nanaimo. Um, that's where our main office is. And in Nanaimo, during the pandemic, a crisis center, a crisis line, they bought a bakery actually. And the bakery, the revenues from the bakery are invested into their crisis center. And all a lot of social enterprises are trying to diversify in or their revenue streams. So they're not wholly dependent on government. So what I probably haven't been saying very well, Bill, is the negotiation that we had with the provincial government under contract. We serve them and I think I believe that we serve them very well. We have a three-year contract with them, but it was signed last summer. So before last summer, I was in the up to my you know neck in negotiations and we were fighting for a new place in the system and they didn't see it the way we did. So I read a book. The book's called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Um, I'm sure some of your listeners will know it because it's a, it just changed everything for me. Because once I read it, I realized, well, wait a minute. I spent all this time trying to change what other people think of us and fight for a place in the system that we have. Instead, I need to think about what's a new way of thinking. And the new way of thinking is mm -hmm. we'll serve the contract. We'll serve the deliverables they need. We'll give them our expert advice, but we won't get so worked up about what the system needs. We will change. We will change and be different. And so that's why we see them differently. We serve our contracts and then any revenues we create will be invested in things of high value based on communities, businesses, the environment and culture here on on Vancouver Island. So we're starting very reasonably. It'll be several hundred thousand dollars that we'll be able to invest. But I have big plans. Like I hope that this goes the way I think it can go. And we will have um, lots of revenues to invest in supporting the communities and the people who live here and that get them to understand that we're a social responsible organization and uh, tourism travel is, you know, we believe travel is a force for good. And there, there are signs, as you pointed out, in Barcelona and even here on Vancouver Island, where it's not always being a force for good. That's what we're all about. And that's what we're trying to tackle. And it's exciting. It's daunting. You know, shaking the status quo is, it's not easy. <laughs> you, you know, you, you, um, I've discovered there's some unease out there, but there's a, a lot of a tremendous amount of support at the same time. So yeah. we're just kind of keeping on here. So would it be fair to say that this is about quality of place, quality of life, and that that becomes your marketing? Uh, that the word of mouth about what a great place this is, maybe in today's world where traditional marketing 
isn't as impactful as it may have been in the past when we both started in this industry. And now we're more into social and we're more into PR and we're more into word of mouth that this will actually have a bigger impact and possibly attract the right kind of visitor that doesn't impede quality of life and quality of place. Absolutely. That's well put. I mean, I, I think for me, we've long been trying, I, I don't know about you, but I can remember about a decade ago telling the story that, gee, you know, when, when tourism as an industry is talked about at every dinner, family dinner table, every, you know, in the evening and people are talking about it because we're in a province that's resource has always been resource dependent. We have tremendous resources here, forestry, mm-hmm. mining, these things. So over time, tourism has grown tremendously. And now consumers can reach the experience they want themselves just with a few clicks. They're talking to businesses. So the pandemic, what we did in the pandemic was we changed our, our business completely in 2020. I mean, the highs and lows of the pandemic, none of us want to remember, but they were very impactful yep, to us. Right. And what we did was we changed our organization entirely to be a delivery model to businesses to help them survive. And then we ended up getting uh, millions of dollars in government funds actually to help businesses survive. So at first it was survival. And then as it changed and grew and, and needs were different, businesses said, look, and it was driven by business. Businesses said, we want to be more sustainable. We want you helping this destination be more sustainable. We want you talking to you know residents more so that residents understand how impacted we've been and how they can help us. And also we want to be more sophisticated digitally to reach our customers. We don't want you necessarily doing that. And, you know, honestly, here on the island, as I was saying, there's lots of uh, destinations who are doing that work. Our role as a regional organization has had to shift. And so that's what we did. But the learnings that we did from business and then from communities, residents themselves, I mean, I'm, you know, we talked to mayor, you name the mayor in a small town in Vancouver, not all of them have said to me, do we really need tourism? Like, because the funding mechanisms all flow through governments in some way, shape or form. So the questions are being asked now because residents are asking them. So it just means from my perspective that we can say what a great place Vancouver Island is, but it's not about marketing to those consumers. There's lots of people doing that. And as a matter of fact, it's a very crowded marketplace out there. And so our role is to think differently, talk about the value, talk similar around the world about this whole problem with labor, Mm -hmm. you know, getting people talking about the value of what our industry can provide, get people more involved in what our industry needs. These are all what we'll be focusing on. It's We've put a lot of emphasis and we will continue on sustainability. We are a signatory to the Responsible Tourism Institute Biosphere Program. We, we've now achieved our designation and the work all revolves around those 17 sustainable gold areas. So it's about quality of life. And we want that for people here. So that's, like you say, that's that's our marketing is a great place to live, is a great place to visit. And, you know, there's a relationship that exists between people that live here and the people we're attracting and and actually the other part of it is is that we have expectations when you when people come i mean the pandemic last year in august through our research we know there was a two-week period there were more domestic travelers on vancouver island than there ever had been in history and vancouver island felt uncomfortable Hmm. like it felt there was a lot of people here and that's and everyone i talked to on the street they remember those two weeks yeah so it's a different it's a different time. It's a very different time. Yeah, it's interesting. We've done some work over the years with the Alabama Gulf Coast, and they were a traditional, as a lot of coastal destinations in the States, they were Memorial Day to Labor Day. And, you know, the Bureau worked to 
not market the summer because the summer takes care of itself. They worked on the shoulder seasons. And all of a sudden, the residents went, wait, 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 wait. We signed up for three months of congestion. We didn't sign up for six. So stop. That is so interesting. Yeah, yeah. So there is that. I mean, I think people who live in tourism destinations, you know, buy into some of it, but they're not buying into what our job has been traditionally in those destinations, which is to expand on the shoulder and the uh, the off season. So let me ask you your, your second question. Your board, as you said, has been really, really supportive. We both know that there's going to be industry partners out there who have old school ideas of what a DMO does. How much pushback did you get initially uh, in the first and second quarter of this year? And how have you brought the doubters into the fold? Well, I think the doubter part is going to be an ongoing process. And we saw ourselves as a lead collaborative organization. Whatever you're collaborating in, you have to give up something to collaborate. And I think that the model hasn't allowed for that in the past. So breaking that that model and that thinking is going to take time. So we're not, we're nowhere near all the way there yet. The pushback was some, I think what we've been overwhelmed with has been the positive response, but it's like anything, it's those closest to you are the ones that have the most questions. And, you know, there's been some anxiety. I think certainly at the DMO level, there are DMOs that are curious what this means for them. There's a sense of, being a part of things here and they want to have a lot more say. And we were just trying to survive, you know, as a fiduciary responsibility of a board, that was what it is. Interestingly enough, businesses here in Vancouver Island have all got it very quickly. We've heard very little pushback about it uh, from businesses. It's more on the community side, specifically at DMOs. But, you know, one of the things that I said off the top was educating people about what a social enterprise is. Once you can kind of get past that part, Mm -hmm. it opens up possibilities to them. And you're right. I mean, if you believe that our role is marketing and marketing only, then it's a tough conversation. And, you know, we've all been moving to this way of talking about as management organizations, but quite honestly, my opinion of that is certainly in my time, we've never had enough resources to be a true management organization because my view of management, couldn't agree more. you, You need to have marketing, you need to have ability to influence structural change. Like, you know, here simply you need composting toilets on trailheads like that. You need those kind of resources. Yeah. And so even when we were saying we were a management organization, I don't think we really were. So we went from marketing to management and now we're focused on social responsibility and that will take time. I'm reminded of a story from, you know, a mentor I had from, I'm involved in amateur sport in the country through Canada Games and uh, I was the chair of a big event. That's a, in Canada, it's a multi-sport event that's about $50 million. At any rate, I was told that there will be naysayers. And when it's all over, those naysayers will put their arms around you and say, I knew it was going to be great all along. <laughs> and the funny thing is, that literally happened. I can remember, you know, I had a, yeah. a counselor in the community in Prince George where I was, put his arm around me at the end and said, I was there all along. Well, the record shows that five years prior, he had voted against it, right? He would. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that the, our door, as as we always do, is always open. These are friends and colleagues here locally. But internationally, I really feel like in Europe, it's interesting to me. I'm learning a lot. I didn't know any of this. I mean, we're working here and, and now this is a open us up to the world. And in the world, the conversations happening, particularly in Europe, seem they seem ahead. 
they seem a little ahead in terms of collaboration and trying to do something different. And so there has been interest there and I'm happy to share uh, what we're doing. But as I said, a social enterprise, we also want to make some revenues here. <laughs> yeah. And I couldn't agree more. I said often, and I know a lot of listeners have heard me say this, that when we realized that destination marketing organization was limiting, we jumped to management because I think we were trying to save the M, right? When I think really what we are, until we get to being a social enterprise like you are, but at, at this point in time, I think we're DLOs. I think we're destination leadership organizations. And actually our last guest has taken that mantle and kind of led his community in through that door to say, look, there's no way we can manage you because you're all independent businesses and, and we don't have the resources to pull this off. But we do have something more to offer than just the marketing side. And we have a vision, we have the ability, we have partners. Let's make this thing happen, right? So good to hear that the doubters are, are coming around. So your third question, doubters aside, you've actually discovered through your evolution over the past couple of quarters that you've got businesses and agencies on the island that never had relationships with you and are now reaching out to support for VI. So tell us how the community at large is responding to this new social enterprise. Well, I think there's a few factors there. I think both communities and businesses have, first of all, their interests. Second of all, they see some values. So we've started doing work with private sector that needs, you know, right now, my colleague, I was working on it today, we're running a a strategic planning session with them because they want to put social responsibility at their cidery. They're a well-known cidery and that's what they've been around for, okay. oh yeah. man, 30 years here. And all of a sudden they've contacted us because they like this idea of social responsibility. They want our help to go work with their team on that and get them in a new place. And that's the kind of work. And that opportunity is now coming to us because we said we're a social enterprise and we're creating revenues and we're making investments you know, into the community's businesses, et cetera, on Vancouver Round. So that's a private sector example. And then communities, there's a number of communities that have contacted us, both Indigenous communities and non-Indigenous communities or um, locally that have asked us to do some other work with them. And it's not just tourism-based work. I mean, that's that's a raison d'etre. I think we're very good at grassroots consultation mm -hmm. and things, but right. they're looking at us to do, we've done, we, we've recently done a trail strategy for a community. And now there are communities off Vancouver Island that want to put social responsibility into their own planning, and then they want to action them. Like for us, it's got to be more than just the words. We have to find ways that whatever you're saying needs to be grounded in what you believe and your passion. And there are communities that are now reaching out because they're they're having these struggles too. I mean, we're blessed in British Columbia with some great places, skiing, great outdoor experiences, but this push-pull between people who live in these communities with welcoming people in yeah. is being felt. And some are ready to do that work and others aren't, but that's who's contacts now. Some of the best days I've had in the last, um, since we launched in April, where have been talking to communities we otherwise wouldn't have about how we could work together for them to achieve success. And before I forget, Bill, I, I just want to acknowledge this term that I've seen on your own materials about DLO. I've been talking about that for years now, that we are leadership organizations. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, oh, 
Brilliant, because that's what I actually believe. Actually, yeah. yeah, well, I believe that we're DLOs, not the, the M word. It's So planting your flag as a leader for your industry um, when it's not well understood, especially when it's not well understood, it's tough, but it's rewarding because we believe in it so much. And again, that's why we see travel has to be a force for good for forever. And that's why we want to focus on it. But when I saw that, I, I was like, oh, wow, that's that's great. Because that's not, like, it just hasn't landed here, that term. Yeah. And um, when I saw that you were doing that, I, anyway, kudos to you because I, well, thank you. I I really do love that. Yeah, And it hasn't landed anywhere. <laughs> and I'm not sure it's going to. <laughs> because as we know, Destinations International uh, has essentially just dumped the M and now it's destination organization. And so, you know, whether the L seeps back in there, we'll find out, but uh, who knows? Anyway, time for your bonus round question. And I've got to tell you, the Genesis stories we hear are always among our favorites in the bonus round. And you started down this path in tourism and hospitality at the age of 16 at the Butch Art Gardens. And you said it was a foundational time for you. So what happened that transformed you into the person you are today? You know, I wouldn't be who I am today without that. I think we all have those moments, that time in my life. I grew up in a, in a family that, you know, my dad had me, I was out working on a farm when I was 13. But by the time I was 16, I always worked and I used all, every dime I made as a young person to, I poured it into sports equipment, particularly hockey equipment. And, um, hockey. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I was going to be Not a cheap sport. I was going to be an NHL or, oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, what right. happened was Butcher Gardens, if you don't, if people don't know, is probably the most iconic attraction on the West coast of Canada. And for Americans, many, many Americans flock there and ha have, cause it's been over, it's about 120 years old now. And there used to be billboards right up to I-5 from California that, well, from Florida is what I understand actually, that, that directed people to Butch Art Gardens. Anyway, it was kind of the place you wanted to work as a young person. And all my friends were working there and it was pretty close to my house. And so I signed on and keep in mind a pivotal, if not the most important time in history for British Columbia from a tourism perspective was Expo 86 in Vancouver. Okay. So that was at this time. So Expo 86, the world came to British Columbia and it was the start of what British Columbia is today as a visitor economy location, in addition to the 2010 Olympics. So Butcher Gardens was just hopping busy. It's already, you know, one, one and a half million people a year go there, busy place, but it was just this place all of a sudden you go there you're trained up and you learn all these things about you bend over backwards for your guests like customer service and actually i believe in service as i believe in being a servant leader and it comes from that time because we were just so drilled about you never said no to a customer you never i mean i i could tell story after story about these moments so the butcher gardens is still privately held the butchers who started it passed it on to a grandson he was quite elderly at the time. And he was this person that I directed traffic with every day. And he just made you work. Every time you walked from wherever you were working to the lunchroom, you were expected to pick up garbage. And I can tell you, wow. I worked there 13 summers through yeah. university and on got, you know, my start in this part of my career. Well, it's kind of worn off now, but for decades afterwards, I would be walking down. I've picked up cigarette butts without thinking about it on the street yeah. because it was so ingrained in me. And so for tourism just became part of who I was. I, I would never have, you know, now you can go to a post-secondary institution in Canada and learn about tourism. There was no such thing when I was going to right. university. And 
I kind of fell in love with it. And, and it wasn't, you know, what you and I are talking about, which is these big visionary strategic things and global issues. It was, and I started to learn that certainly from some mentors, but it was really about the detail, what it took for a small, like a business like that to be successful and how you serve the people that came from all over the world. And it, it was fun. I mean, let's put it this way. It was like a summer camp. It was like, you know, all those crazy Bill Murray movies, you know, meatballs and stuff. Like, really? that's what it was like. like. Meatballs? Yeah, like every day was like you worked your butt off. You went home and you had super fun with your pals in the evening. And the next day you got up and did it again and again and again. And it was fun. And I'll finally, I'll just say that uh, who I am as a person, all my best friends in life who are I have, you know, doctors, dentists, police officers, teachers, you name it. We all work together at that time. And these are my lifelong friends. Yeah. So I don't know of anything yeah. that's more powerful than that. And that's what it means to me. And isn't that the truth? And I did not grow up in hospitality, but my genesis story of why this sector and industry called me. And, and once I stumbled back into it, it's like, oh, I'm home was my mom. And, you know, my mom was always that you got to give back. You've got to give people a smile. You've got to treat them with respect. And I always did in, in the industries that I served up until my first DMO job. But then once I got into DMOs, it was like, oh yeah, I've been preparing for this for my whole life through my, my childhood, you know, with my mom kind of guiding me. So it's interesting how the two of us have, have come to the same ultimate conclusion that this is about making people feel really great. And isn't that the best calling in the world? It's a calling it, and it, you have to bring passion to it. And it really is. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, yeah. I, I've, I've since learned this. I, I grew up with it like you did. And I, but you know, when there are people that look at hospitality and service differently in the world and they're raised that way, like you look at hoteliers yeah. in Europe, Switzerland and places, they, they think differently. Like it's a noble calling. And, you know, professional waiters in Europe and places, I mean, they, this is a noble calling and that hasn't quite been part of our ethos as much in North America, I would say broadly. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think, Oddly enough. And, and it literally, I just, <laughs> I totally fell into it and it was, it was a fun job that I learned a ton, but I love the people. I love the friends. Like that's, that's why I did it. And then all of a sudden it, now it's, it's a lifelong journey. Yeah. It gets its hooks into us and we it'll never let go. So um, I'm sure that we'll be in, in rocking chairs uh, telling these stories back and forth in uh, another couple of decades. So anyway, Anthony, what you've done with 4VI is obviously transformational. Thanks for your thought leadership, providing the inspiration for all of us in the DMO world to reevaluate our next steps, as Jack Johnson will say, a community shared value. So Thanks a bunch and congratulations for all you do. We can't wait to see the next steps. Thanks so much, Bill. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, you bet. Absolutely. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers, this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Destinations International. Time to look forward now to the next big event. It's the Advocacy Summit in Bloomington, Minnesota, October 26th through the 28th. As telling the DMO story has never been more crucial, Join Destinations International for a content-rich agenda of compelling case studies and networking to bring your advocacy game up to speed. For more, go to destinationsinternational.org. 
dmopros.com is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, position papers on board diversity and a new model for destination development, the book Destination Leadership, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, plus access to past episodes of DMOU. That's dmopros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.